1: It's June 28th, 1858, and another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by Ariel, Rebecca, and Ollie. The Retrospectors. So it was on this day that the Victorians somehow managed to impose their omnipresent class structure onto the canine (laughs) world with the creation of the first ever dog show. It was in Newcastle in the north of England. And it was a kind of adjunct, really, to the annual cattle show that they were holding there anyway. Which is made clear by the fact
0: that the only dogs that were shown in this show were setters and pointers, sporting breeds.
1: Yes, 23 pointers and 27 setters, if you want your scorecard from uh, 1859.
2: And the winners, if you're interested.
1: If you really want to validate that scorecard.
2: (laughs) (laughs) The winners were a pointer called Bang. And a Gordon setter (laughs) called Dandy, and the prize was a set of shotguns.
1: Nominative determinism there, wasn't it? Call your dog bang, wearing a shotgun. (laughs) There was controversy right from the get-go, though. There were three judges for each class. One of the judges for the setters took first prize in the pointers, while one of the judges for the pointer classes took first prize in the setters. You know, this accusation of inbreeding not just for the dogs but also for the owners is something that has come along ever since, really, that it can seem like quite a closed world. It's apparently open to everybody, but... It's quite in the eye of the beholder, isn't it? Some of the judgments aren't clear. Why does this dog look better than any other dog? A lot of it ties into our good old friend Eugenics, of course, which was popular at the time as well. Mm. And uh, they're not having to be any particular reason why Breed was stronger or better, apart from the man who was marking the card liked a particular feature, and that's what he decided to judge on.
0: So do you think at that Newcastle show they were like, I know that this is actually an annual cattle show, but don't tell anybody, we'll also have a little dog competition, and if we're the only people to go in it, then we can both win the guns, you guys.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And one of the judges, a fellow called Richard Brailsford, who's head gamekeeper on the Prime Minister's estate, Lord Derby.
1: And the man who had organised the whole event, yes, don't (laughs) tell me that he's somehow embroiled in controversy too.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, he obviously enjoyed it so much that he thought it should go on to the National stage that year he organized a dog show in Birmingham which would go on to be called the national dog show still going on they added spaniels retrievers into the mix to shake things up a bit but again still working breeds and it didn't really help that there were no standards to judge dogs by as Ollie was saying it was basically did you like the look of the animal Yes, no, maybe so. And so obviously it was open to lots of accusations. It was very easy to, you know, give your give your mate an award by sort of just looking <laughs> the dog up and down and saying, hmm, yes, that's a good pointer. And that was what led to the creation of the Kennel Club in 1873. And they f- finally started bringing in rules about formally classifying different breeds, what the ideal standards were for them, and, and just rules for holding a dog show, basically, to stop it just being some big shotgun racket.
1: I think that's partly because before 1859, although this was the first kind of modern dog show, it was the first modern dog show because there had been other predecessor events which were more casual the masters Mm. of foxhounds in england had hound shows Ever since the start of the century, there was an exhibit for pugs that was held on May the 30th, 1850, which was kind of a bit of a social, bit of a knees up. Um, And uh, two years later, a series of shows for spaniels and small dogs held at the Queen's Head Tavern in London. I mean, that location tells you (laughs) (laughs) that not everyone is taking it seriously as a sport. And then I think twinned with that there'd also been a plethora of pigeon-fancying events, which was news to me. When it came to then the dog-fancying shows, they were like, well, we'll run it like a chicken event. You know, yeah. okay, it'll just be a bit of fun. And then it turned out dog owners were a lot more serious about this stuff.
0: <laughs> yeah, the way the history books tell it, it sounds like there were no dog shows at all, and then suddenly there was this one in June ni- 1859. And then, you know, immediately there were dog shows everywhere. But actually, probably what was going on was that there were quite sort of rudimentary ad hoc mates affairs that had been done for quite a while and this is when dog shows really started getting serious
1: we're not going down the pub we're having a dog show (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah
0: you can't be drunk and judge which dog is good
2: (laughs) it is amazing how quickly the phenomenon took off though on a kind of national scale victorians of all classes crucially this was one of the few things that would bring all classes together everyone enjoys Mm. a dog by the end of the 1860s 10 years after this first modern dog show the national dog show in Birmingham was attracting over 20,000 pay visitors and Mm. 700 dogs who also didn't have a choice about being there.
1: (laughs) My favourite of the kind of explosion of dog shows that uh, imitated this first one, though, was the one from June 1862, which was the Monster Dog Show. uh, It's not as interesting
2: as it sounds. (laughs) I mean,
1: that sounds like a great show. (laughs) I think Monster was just to imply big. And it took place at the New Agricultural Hall in Islington. The roof hadn't been finished yet, which led many wags at the time to say... uh, it allows the odor to dissipate from all the dogs poo <laughs>
2: <laughs> to be fair probably
1: yeah. <laughs> it was probably true uh, but yeah. that attracted 60,000 visitors in 1862 but was mired in scandal afterwards very popular at the time but dogs disappeared en route to the show some of them were presumed stolen because you know the precedent wasn't there that the owner took the dog to the show some of them were just put on a train and sent to the show <laughs> and might have been sold unscrupulously to the public. And the entrepreneur behind it, who was from up north and had taken this idea down to London with him, basically, as a kind of big, let's get all the celebs in, Dickens turned up, for example, and wrote a diary piece about it. Uh, He declared himself bankrupt at the end of it and couldn't pay out any of the prizes.
0: It is astonishing how that business of controversy has become baked into the dog show, even to this day. Every single year, it seems, there's stories of You know, owners slipping rival dogs' laxatives, or, you know, some dog coming down with some sort of ailment that means it can't compete. Or <laughs> Apparently in 1974, Crufts, uh, which we'll talk about, I'm sure, featured a murder trial. The old Bailey jury heard how a man had started an affair with a woman that he met at Crufts and was stabbed to death by his wife with the very knife that he used to cut up their dog's food with. I suppose that's not a laughing matter, <laughs> but it just, is, it just is a horrible little detail. <laughs> the amount of controversy that goes on in these things that at even led to a murder is kind of astonishing.
2: I was so surprised to find out the origin of Crofts. In my head, Croft, the word was like debretts or something. I yeah. assumed it must be some kind of aristocrat. He was a dog biscuit salesman. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, he, he wasn't even the owner of, it was Spratt's Dog Biscuits and he was their sales manager.
1: Should have been called Spratt.
2: <laughs> that was confusing because of the fish show. <laughs> I suppose. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he just knew a good promotional gimmick, didn't he?
0: Yeah, exactly, and he was styled, apparently, by contemporaries as the British Barnum after the famous American showman P.T. Barnum. Well,
1: in fact, Barnum staged his first dog show at the American Museum in the same year as the monster no way. dog show. Yeah, oh, that's so amazing. he was on it, he knew.
0: Yeah, they both knew that this was this was a moneymaker. But yeah, but he really just was this chancer who, who coincided with the time where dog shows were trying to professionalise. But even in the early days, around the sort of turn of the century in 1900, Cruft's shows were still being dismissed as being actually the monster show of their era, that, that contemporaries were saying that they were really only good for the quantity of dogs on offer rather than Mm. the breed quality. So it was already being sniffed at by its rivals and only... Over yeah. the years did it become... Are you laughing because uh, Arian said sniff that, Rebecca? <laughs> yeah. I know, yeah. Yeah. I am a bit. over by historians. Yeah, <laughs> dogged by accusations. <laughs> um, but yeah, but only over the years did it become the sort of premiere dog show. And now it's absolutely enormous.
1: 27,000 dogs shown in, in each year's show. I'm not sure things have changed that much. Like if you look back at actually Dickens' account of going to the Monster Dog Show, he wrote... It was a great comfort not to understand the preference of the judges. (laughs) And he wondered why the bloodhound's skin should hang in ghastly folds around his throat and jaws. And he wondered why bulldogs had to be, quote, bandy, blear-eyed, pink-nosed, blotchy, underhung, and utterly disreputable. (laughs) Underhung, incidentally, I had to Google because I wasn't sure. And It's referring to the jaw. It's not there. Oh, okay. Yeah, that makes more sense. Yeah, Charles Dickens wouldn't deign to comment on a bulldog's penis, surely. (laughs) Except in an amusing description of a man's face. (laughs) I was interested when this subject came up to look into
0: whether dogs or cats were the more popular pet. Would you guys have a sense of that off the top of your heads
1: worldwide? yeah. 2021, cats. Yep. Cats, definitely. Dogs.
0: Yeah, well, I'm afraid, Rebecca, on this one, apparently there are 470 million dogs kept as pets worldwide and only 370 million cats kept...
1: No, that's wrong because it doesn't agree with my preferences and I'm sure I've got my finger <laughs> on the pulse. Everyone prefers coffee to tea and everyone prefers cats to dogs. That's surely how it is.
0: One of my favourite Terry Pratchett quotes was, cats were worshipped in ancient Egypt as gods. They have never let us forget this. <laughs> <laughs> tomorrow
2: I see now giving you everything and never questioning anything you did my unconditional love created a spoiled young man
1: love the show follow the show wherever you get your podcast part of the Acast creator network planning for your next trip